Uh, if you were here this morning, we read from uh, Acts chapter 5, and we mentioned verse 42 as a starting place for God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now I pray tonight that God will speak to your heart and mind about what I believe is a most important matter. In 1954, I preached a sermon in this church in 1954. Let's see, that's been 30 years ago. I preached a sermon, and I got it out and read it the other day. I preached a sermon entitled, What's Closest to the Heart of Jesus? A sermon in which we took the Bible and tried to show that the thing that's closest to the heart of Jesus Christ is getting people saved. He never talked about anything anymore. He never worked at anything any harder. That's the purpose for which he came into the world. That's the purpose for which he died on the cross, was to get people saved. And one of the last things Jesus ever did, before he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he said to a lost soul who said, Remember me. He said to a lost soul, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now listen to me. The thing that's closest to the heart of Jesus is soul winning and getting people saved. God has a plan for the church. It's found in 18 words in the English translation of the Bible Acts 5.42, 18 words in the English translation, daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now we're going to continue that verse tonight, but I want to read from two other verses in the book of Acts. And I want you to see something tonight in these two, two passages, that if you're a Christian, now listen, if your mind is open and your heart is open, God will say something to you. I want to talk to you about Acts 1-8 and Acts 8-1. They're altogether different. You're either in one or the other tonight. You're in Acts 1-8 or you, or you will be in Acts 8-1. Let's read what we're talking about. First chapter of the book of Acts. You remember Jesus is getting ready to go back into heaven. He's died on the cross, arisen from the grave, and appeared for 40 days and nights. Now in verse 6 of chapter 1, They therefore that were come together ask of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now remember, Israel didn't really have the kingdom. The Romans ruled the world, and Jesus died by the Roman method of crucifixion. They said, well, will you restore again the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now listen to Jesus carefully. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now no one knows the times or the seasons 
which the Father hath put in his own power. Nobody knows when the Lord's coming. No one knows that. You mark it down if somebody tries to teach you that they know exactly when the Lord is coming. Mark it down, they can't teach you anything because they don't know anything. Because no one knows the times and seasons which the Father has put in His own power. He said, don't want you to think about that right now. Listen to what He said. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now let's nail down Acts 1.8. As we start tonight, please give your heart and mind to prayerful thinking about these, these two verses. First one is verse 8, Acts 1-8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Every word is important. Now look at chapter 8 of the book of Acts. There is a plan in the book of Acts for winning people and for church building. Let's see that plan uh, tonight again. Now in chapter 8 verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Now this is a death of a deacon. This is a death of a man by the name of Stephen. This man Stephen was a wonderful man. He was a spirit-filled man, and a man of great wisdom, and a man of great power with God. But Stephen preached a sermon in Acts chapter 7 about the plan of God for his people. And they stoned Stephen to death. He became a martyr, the first New Testament martyr for Christ. Now let's look at it. And Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, as you know, this Saul of Tarsus, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now look at verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You will notice that they were, who were scattered abroad were not the apostles. They were what people call today laymen, though there's no such word used in the Bible. God does not make that distinction. It is a man-made word. But people refer to people who are not full-time ministers, or full-time preachers, or full-time Christian workers. They refer to people as laymen or laywomen. All of these were scattered abroad. The Christians of Jerusalem were literally persecuted out of the city 
all except the apostles. And the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word. Now you see, God had a plan. When Jesus, before he went away, he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now watch it. It's important. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. That's the city. In Judea. That is the region in which the city is located. And in Samaria. That is the adjoining state or region. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall start here in Jerusalem. But you shall not stop here in Jerusalem. You shall start in Jerusalem, but then will go to all, to all Judea. Then go to the adjoining state or region, which is Samaria. And from there you are to go as witnesses for me, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is God's plan. That's what's called, we call in the New Testament, the Great Commission. In simple words, it's put in the book of Mark. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And again in the book of Acts. Five times these marching orders, this plan of God is given to the church. And what we're talking about tonight is God's plan. I'm not talking about my plan. I'm not talking about some learned preacher's scheme of getting things done. I'm talking to you tonight about God's plan. God's plan for the New Testament church is a plan of evangelism. That's in the book. Two men working during World War II in a naval shipyard in shipbuilding, one day working and building a ship, they got into a discussion, not really an argument. They were cutting a piece of metal to fit into the side of what was to be a great battleship. And one man said, we will cut it this way. Another one reached back in his back pocket and pulled out a little booklet or papers and he read it for a moment and said, No, we will not cut it that way. We will cut it this way. And the other man said, How are you so sure? He said, Because this is the way it's written in the plan and the specification and there is no other way to cut it. I'm saying to you tonight, this is written in the Word of God. This is God's plan. And there is no other way to do God's work. God wants His Word to be given to every house, to every creature, to every nation, in all the world, starting at home, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth.
Now notice what happened to the church at Jerusalem. Oh, God knows tonight. I wish I could have been a part of that church, don't you? What a great church it was. 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people baptized and added to the believers on that one day. They said of these Christians, as we mentioned this morning, you have filled this city with your teaching and your doctrine. They said it critically. God means it complimentary. That's a great compliment to a church. You have filled this city with your teaching and your doctrine. But watch something. This church settled down. They settled down in Jerusalem. There's no record of the gospel having gone into Judea anywhere else. There's no record of the gospel at this time having gone into Samaria. There's no record of the gospel having left Jerusalem and gone at this time to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now what happened? In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You shall receive power and be witnesses unto me, starting at home and branching out to the end of the earth. And they didn't do that. Oh, they did a great work. I do not know how many thousands might have been saved. That church grew until the Bible said there were multitudes of believers, both men and women. Not a multitude, multitudes. But they didn't do what God said. They didn't go to the rest of Judea. They didn't go to Samaria. They didn't go to the ends of the earth at this time. What did God do? One day, God let persecution come. There's one of the greatest men that ever lived. There's a gate in the walls of the city of Jerusalem tonight that's named Stephen's Gate. It is a gate that, uh, which we believe they drug this deacon outside the gate as if unfit to die in the city and stoned this good man to death. There was a young man raised up, brilliant, egotistical, bigoted, brilliant, educated young rabbi that hated Christians and hated the church and hated Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. He knew the law, but he didn't know the lawgiver. And he hated the, the church of Jesus. And he was putting to death the people of God. And he stood there and watched them as they stoned Stephen, one of these first deacons, stoned him to death and killed him. And they laid their clothes, their coats at the feet of Saul, this young rabbi. And he watched after their clothing while they killed one of God's deacons in the early church. You say, what a tragedy. Yeah, in a way. Oh no, but not just a tragedy. God's doing something. God is saying, I told you, I told you, you should be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and you haven't been any further than Jerusalem you haven't been to Judea you haven't been to Samaria you haven't been to the uttermost parts of the earth and the Bible says that there, there at that time there was a great persecution against the church and they were all scattered abroad except the apostles now wait a minute God is saying something serious. God said, I'll, I'll get you out of Jerusalem. I'll scatter you. 
they started killing the Christians and putting them in jail and persecuting them. And they went everywhere out of the city of Jerusalem. Everywhere the Bible said. Why Philip went up into Samaria and preached and a great revival took place in Samaria. They went everywhere. But God had to bring literally persecution and judgment upon Christians to get them to move out to break the gospel to other people who had not been saved and had not heard the word of God. Now listen, I don't think God's ever changed. You either tonight are going to be in Acts 1-8 or God will put you in Acts 8-1. You can make up your mind. You can make up your mind as an individual. You can make up your mind as a preacher. You can make up your mind as a child of God. You can make up your mind as a church. That either you tonight are going to operate in obedience to God in Acts 1-8 or God will put you in Acts 8-1, one or the other. If we will not operate in obedience in Acts 1-8, then God will bring the trials and the persecution and put us in Acts 8-1. And I'll tell you, a just and holy God knows how to get Christians to thinking about winning people to Jesus Christ. He knows how to do it. And that to me is a fearful thing. It really is. You know, it, it literally frightens me to think what God might have to do to get people busy to winning souls for Jesus Christ. We have departments in our Sunday school where there's a group of workers never bring a person down these aisles. We have scores of Christians in this church Never bring a person down this aisle. Uh, it might be you're saying tonight, it's been so long, I don't know whether I could even do it or not. I want to tell you, if you, if you don't live for God in 1-8, God's holy word teaches He will put you in 8-1. And God will bring pressure to bear on the life of a Christian. So you'll know you've done wrong in not winning souls. Do you know we have come to a generation of Christians who think they can be good Christians and never win anybody to the Lord? Well, I want to tell you something. I don't claim to be a Bible scholar. I do claim to be a Bible reader and a Bible student. And if I know this Bible tonight... You can't be a good Christian without being interested in winning people to Jesus Christ. Or oh, you can carry a Schofield Bible, King James Version, like I have in love with all my heart. You can carry a $60 Bible, wear a three-piece suit. You can look good and clean cut and come to church every service, but be out of the will of God if you're not interested in getting somebody saved and getting them to come to Jesus Christ. Now the Lord brought persecution on the early church. They wouldn't operate in 1-8. So God said, I'll put you in 8-1. I'll bring the persecution and the pressure and get you at it. Oh, for a passion for souls. Oh, tonight for a heart that bleeds 
and to get people saved. I want you to listen to some people pray. George Whitfield, that great preacher of a few generations ago, prayed, Oh Lord, give me souls, or take my soul. Have you ever felt that way? Oh Lord, give me souls, or take my soul. Paul felt that way. Moses felt that way. I believe some of God's people have come to place in their life when they wanted a loved one saved so much, they've literally said to God, I'd give my life if it would mean that my loved ones would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Henry Martin, a missionary who went to India and knelt down on the shores of India, and this is what he prayed. He prayed here, let me burn out for God. Listen to David Brainerd, died of consumption at age 29. They said he prayed so fervently in the New England snows until the snow would melt all around him as he so fervently prayed to God for the souls of the red men, the Indians. He prayed, Lord, to thee I dedicate myself. In the year 1718 he was born, lived 29 years, and 1747 died. But while he was winning people to the Lord, he said, Lord, to thee I dedicate myself. Oh, accept of me, and let me be thine forever. Lord, I desire nothing else. I desire nothing more. Listen to Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody said, Use me, then my Savior, for whatever purpose and in whatever purpose and in what way thou mayest require. Here is my poor heart, an empty vessel, fill it with thy grace. Listen to Martin Luther pray. Martin Luther, on the night preceding his appearance at the Diet of Worms, said, do thou, my God, stand by me against all the world's wisdom and reason. Oh, do it, he prayed. Thou must do it. Stand by me, thou true eternal God. Listen to John McKenzie pray as a young missionary candidate as he knelt on the banks of the Lassie. He prayed, O oh Lord, send me to the darkest spot on the earth. Listen to Pray and Hyde, another missionary to India. He said, Father, give me these souls or I die. Listen to John Knox of Scotland. Give me Scotland or I die. He would pray, John Knox would, till the wee hours of the morning. One night his wife came, put his hand on his shoulder in the wee hours of the morning and said, John, come to bed. You must think of your own health and your own body. And John Knox said, Woman... There are 4,000 souls in this parish who know not the Lord, and I must win them. John Knox prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And it is written of him that the Queen of Scotland said, I fear no man on earth except John Knox. Oh, for a passion for souls. Oh, to have it on our hearts tonight. That God has a plan of church building and a plan of soul winning. Now I said some folks think you can be a good Christian not win souls. I, I, listen, pardon the expression, I have news for you. I have news for you. Uh, a great preacher friend of mine 
once preached on the sevenfold tragedy of not being a soul winner. I preached on the subject, the sins of not winning souls. There is the sin of disobedience. You know, the Bible plainly teaches, go. And if you don't go, you've disobeyed. And a disobedient Christian is not a good Christian. There is the sin of coldness and an abated love. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you. And I want to tell you, if you love Jesus tonight, if you love Jesus tonight, you'll do what Jesus tells you to do. Don't, don't tell me, don't sing to me, oh, how I love Jesus, if you're never going to lift a finger to get people saved. It's a sin not to win souls. There is the sin of not following Christ. Why, all Jesus said to, to Matthew, Levi was, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus said, if you just follow me, just come after me, walk in my steps, follow me, I'll make you to be a fisher of men. The purpose of following Jesus is to become a fisher of men. And it's a sin not to follow Jesus. Yeah, there is the sin of not abiding in Christ. You know, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you shall bring forth much fruit. And let me tell you, if you're not fruit bearing, you're not abiding tonight. He said, if you abide in me, that's fellowship, close, unbroken, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you abide in me and I in you, you shall bring forth much fruit. And not to win souls is a sin of not being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's like violating a sacred trust. You know, Jesus told the parable, a man went away and gave out the talents. Ten to one, five to another, two to another, one to another. All of them used them. Jesus said, the man said, occupy till I come. That is, be busy, be using the, the ability I've given you till I come back again. One fellow just had one, said, I can't do much. I don't have much ability. So he ran out and hid it and buried it, the talent. And he said, when my master returns, I'll have this one talent he gave me. I'll return it to him. And he did. But the master rebuked him. He said, you ought to have been using what you had. He said, take it away from him and give it to one of these who've used what I've given to them. Some of you folks tonight are hiding behind an excuse. You say, well, I can't be a soul winner. I'm not educated. I thank God I've known some uneducated people, the greatest soul winners I've ever known in my life. Some folks are hiding behind an excuse tonight. I can't win souls. I don't have the gift of gab. Well, you let the telephone, you let the, you let the, um, a consumer's power charge you five dollars uh, too much for your bill and let me listen to you on the phone see whether you got the gift of gab or not you wait till it gets down close to something where you're touched you let the cashier in the grocery store overcharge you a few dollars let's see whether you can talk or not oh no people make excuses they hide behind frivolous little old man-made satanical excuses not to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and win people to Him. Oh, listen, this church, this church needs...
to realize tonight not to win souls is to sin against God. You know, I think of a young man went away to a Christian school, not, not our school here, thank God. He went away to a Christian school. They handed him a, 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 a little book of rules. These are the rules and regulations. A bunch of the uh, seniors came to this young man. I know what I'm talking about. I know his family. I know the tragedy it brought. I know the heartache and the tears. I know all about it. I know the story. The seniors came to him. Just a freshman said, now, listen, this is just, this is written down. You don't have to keep the rules. You don't have to do that. Uh, they said, we've been here. This is our fourth year. We know how to get by. So the young man said, if these who've been here four years don't do it, then neither will I. He ended up at the end of one semester as a, as a drug addict and came home to break the heart of his mother and father and literally physically and mentally abuse them. You, you take a young man, a woman, they come along and they, to a church like this or, or other churches anywhere and they see Christians been saved a long time and that Christian doesn't say this but he lives like this is true. You, you don't have to win souls to be a good Christian. Well, I've been saved 20, 30, 40 years. And I'm not a soul winner. You don't have to be a soul winner to be a good Christian. And a young Christian says, Well, if an older Christian doesn't do it, I don't have to do it. And I can be a good Christian without doing it. You see, I'm, I'm talking to you about why God let a, a good, wonderful man who was a soul winner let him be stoned to death and beaten and broken. God said, I've got to break these stony hearts. And old Saul of Tarsus, who had a hand in it, saw Stephen die and heard him pray, God lay not this sin to their charge. And heard him say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father on high. And saw a Christian die like Christians ought to die. And Saul never got over it. And one day on the Damascus road, when God spoke to him, uh, Saul said to the Lord, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecuted. There is no evidence Saul ever met with Jesus until he heard him on the Damascus road. But Jesus said, You're persecuting me when you killed my man. When you threw rocks at him, you were throwing them at me. You see, God let a good man be killed to get people out uh, to winning souls for Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible said, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. I could name you some preachers tonight. I could name you some preachers tonight. I could name you a man used to hold what was called citywide Revival meetings. And I listened to him preach. And I used to, I used to listen to him preach. And I thought, oh, if I've ever he heard a man preach with the power of God on his life, surely this man has it. But he became interested not so much in the meetings, but um, the publicity. 
and not so much in the souls, but the, the publicity and the prestige, and God forbid, in the love offering and other things. He's still living, but no one hardly knows where he is. I think I could take you to him tonight. A man that stood tall like a giant, but when he got soul winning off of his mind, God took, took his hand off of his life. And listen, I've lived long enough to see churches where they put something in the place of soul winning and God took his hand off of that church. Listen, it's here. You're either going to operate in 1-8 or God is going to put you in 8-1. You can depend on it tonight. Either obey the Lord or God will put pressure on you and I. That's what this Bible is trying to say to us. I said this morning the early Christians were persistent. There were certain people are people who participated. I want you to notice the participants. You know, folks say, well, preacher, that's what we hired you to do. Went, oh no, you, you were mixed up. You got rooms for rent. You're not carrying a full load of bricks. That's what we hired you to do. No, no. You didn't hire me to do anything. God called me to do something. You didn't hire me to do anything. Uh, people, people sin against God when they say, well, the preacher is hired to win souls. That's what we pay him for. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Let me tell you, the participants in the soul winning in the early church was the whole multitude of people. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, and they were all scattered abroad except the apostles. For some unknown reason, God left them in Jerusalem. But the Christians were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word of God. Don't you give me that stuff? Well, I'm not a preacher. You don't expect me to win souls, do you? I'm not a preacher. Oh, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. That was the men and women of that church. There may be a half a dozen people in this church tonight that would remember a man saved in our church who could not read and write. And I think perhaps the deacon is here tonight who led the man to the Lord when he came forward in this church. He could not read. He could not write his own name. He was a hard-working man. And um, someone else had to take care of all the signing writing everything for him. But this man came to this church years ago, he and his wife, and he was saved. The deacon that led him to the Lord took the Bible, put it down on the floor in the little prayer room we had at that time right through that door, and put it down on the floor and read him verses about how to be saved and John 3.16 and told him about how he could believe in the Lord Jesus, and God would save him from all of his sin. And a man that couldn't read and write was wonderfully saved, and oh, he wept. He was so happy that the Lord had saved him. Uh, a few days, well, maybe a few weeks after he was saved, one day he called my home. He gave me his name. He said, 
You know, I, I've been saved in the church. He said, I can't read and I can't write. But he said, I have a brother who's lost. He lives 400 miles from here. That would take him into the upper peninsula, 400 miles north of Pontiac. He said, my brother's lost. I want to see my brother saved. He said, I'm going this week to see my brother and to try to lead him to the Lord. And I want you to pray for me. I prayed for him. I knew he couldn't read. He couldn't take the Bible and read it to his brother and read him verses like the deacon did to him. A few days later, he called me again. He said, Preacher, I want you to know that my brother was wonderfully saved, just like I was saved. And he said, I, I took my Bible, and I put it down on the floor, and I pointed to John 3.16 and told my brother, You read it. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he said, my brother was saved. My brother now knows the Lord like I do. Listen, don't give me that old excuse. I'm too old and too feeble. I don't see well enough anymore. Don't give me that. Don't give me that, that excuse. I'm not fluent with words. I'm not educated. I don't have a good personality. You don't need that. You just need a heart burden where you're really concerned about what Jesus was concerned about. People who participated in this great soul-winning evangelistic effort were not just preachers. You know, there, there is a partnership in this thing. The Bible talks of this wonderful partnership. You know, when Jesus wanted a, a little beast of burden, he was going to ride into the city of Jerusalem on, on uh, Palm Sunday, as we call it. He sent two disciples just to lead a little donkey. He sent two. One could have done it, but in the will of God, he sent two. When Jesus is going to observe the, the Passover supper and institute what we call the Lord's Supper, he sent two disciples to make the preparation for the room and to get it ready. Jesus more than once used the two-on-one principle. In the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, he appointed 70, but notice now, he sent them out in 35 couples. He appointed 70, and they went out two by two. I know one person can win somebody to the Lord, but God's plan, in a sense, is two people going out like we beg people to do. I mean, literally plead and beg people to do two by two. Go out two together. And there's a great verse. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one. Now God said it. Two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. I think of the Salvation Army and how it was started. You know, everybody talks about William Booth, and, and you couldn't say too much about him. Never a greater man, I guess, has ever lived in recent generations than William Booth. Started the Salvation Army, which, like a lot of other things, has departed from the purpose for which it was started. He had a burden for the slums of London. He had a burden for the down and out, the gutter people, the drunks, 
all these people nobody cared anything about. And he, he wanted to leave his church and give his life to the slums of London and to the down and out and the gutter people. They brought him before the ecclesiastical leaders and they were saying to him, he's standing right down here and the whole church is filled. And he's standing here with these leaders and they're asking him. And finally they came down to it. Will you do what we tell you? And his wife was sitting up in the balcony. And she stood up and she took out her little handkerchief. And she tried to wave it to get attention. And she cried out and she said, Say no, William. Say no. And William Booth stood there and said no. I won't do what you tell me to do. I will do what God tells me to do. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people in heaven tonight because a man stood here and a woman sat up yonder and said, Say no, William. Let me tell you, God can take two people. I've seen it happen. I've seen two people go and seem like one maybe that knew more about it than the other one. He'll tell all he knew and nothing happened. Then a word or two from the other and somebody trusted the Lord. Two are better than one. Jesus, Jesus' plan and the plan in this Bible is for the people of God two by two to go out and to win people to Jesus Christ. It's a house to house plan. We have missionary circles here in our church. We've, we've had them many, many, many years. We started sporting missionaries uh, almost the first month. Uh, we started this church practically, first few weeks at least. We started supporting missionaries. And we have missionary circles. Well, one, uh, one time years ago when I was preaching, just like I'm trying to preach tonight, there's a lady in one of the missionary circles said, well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to uh, have part in visitation and soul winning. And I, I'm, I'm a member of a missionary circle, and uh, I don't have to do all of that stuff, and I'm not going to do it. And I just, I just gave her a word. I gave it in love, but I gave it firmly. I said, if you are opposed to soul winning, you have no business being in a missionary circle. How can you talk about helping people going to all parts of the world to take the gospel and to talk to people about Jesus? And you're talking here in your church about you don't believe in that kind of stuff. And I said to her, if you don't believe in it, you ought to get out of that missionary circle. And you ought to quit talking about being a member of a missionary circle if you're going to talk about soul winning. Let me tell you something. You know God, God will bring judgment on a person that's opposed to soul winning in a church of Jesus Christ. Here's a house to house plan. Um, you know Paul said I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul was, Paul was alright. Paul was learned. Paul was a great missionary and a great preacher. But Paul said, I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I remember preaching in South Bend, Indiana in a conference. And I preached as like I 
when I'm away, I preach just like I preach here. I preach loud and preach sometimes long and I preach what I believe God wants me to preach. And if people don't like that, they can lump it. And I preach that way there. And as one of these fellows, a preacher there, had on a clerical garb, you know. He thought that a part of being a preacher was to look like an oddball. So he had on clerical garb. And he came up to me and he said, Now, uh, how many members do you have in your church? I think at that time, the membership role, which has gone into the thousands, of course, like a lot of churches, you couldn't find a lot of them with a Geiger counter. But at that time, I think the membership of our church was about 5,000 names on our church roll. We had seen hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people saved. And a man came up to me, and I, you know, you can tell, you can tell where a fellow looks. The eyes are the wind of the soul. You can just tell what's on a man's soul by the way he looks. And that little glint in his eye. And that little smirk on his face. And I started to tell you what I felt like doing, but I, that, that would uh, tarnish my beautiful image, and I don't want to do any of that. But he pranced up to me and he said, uh, um, you, you uh, have a visitation program? I, I preached about it. I said, yes. And uh, you have these people come forward? Yes. And they're baptized? Yes. He said, have you ever read uh, such and such a book? Not this book, but um, some books he asked me if I'd read. And I've read lots of books at that time. But I had not read the first one he asked me. I said, no, never read it. He said, well, that's by Dr. So-and-so. You've never read it? No. He said, well, have you ever read by Dr. So-and-so? I forget. E. Flavius, Fluffyhead, whatever his name was. Uh, have you ever read such a book? He said, no, never read it. He asked me the third one. And he said, have you ever read this one? I said, no, never heard of it. And I had, I had scores of books in my study, and I'd read lots of books. I thought I'd been reading the right kind, and I had. That's the reason I hadn't heard of those. And I've thought about it a lot. Daily in the temple in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Daily in the temple. Now, a lot of folks read that, and they think, that's the church. No, it wasn't. Daily in the temple, daily in the temple, and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. A lot of folks say, yes, they, see, that was the building where the church met. No, this church didn't have a building. Never did have a building. This church didn't. It's not talking about a church building. The temple was the temple where sacrifices were made and rituals were observed before the Lord ever came according to the law of the Bible. Now Jesus has come. The law has been fulfilled in Him. There is no need for Lamb's blood to be shed. The Lamb of God has already come and died and arisen and gone back into the presence of God. But people were in that temple by the thousands. They came and brought their little turtle doves, the poorest people did, and sacrificed them. And they brought their lambs and their goats 
and they came and they were going back and forth. In fact, some of these backslidden religious leaders that set up money-changing tables, Jesus, Jesus in his day had to drive all of that out. But the temple area was filled every day. People going and coming. Religious people, but lost people. These Christians said, my, what a place to win people to the Lord. Daily in the temple. Yeah, that temple dedicated to the Old Testament ritual. Where a thousand people, people coming and going. That's where Peter and John one day went up to the temple to our prayer. They set a man there. Been sitting there for years. He was 40 years old. Never had anyone ever helped him. He lifted up a little tin cup and said, give me some money. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and immediately he leaped and his ankle bones received strength and he rejoiced in the Lord. Let me tell you, people said, oh, there are thousands of people out there. Now I'll tell you something. Sinners are not going to beat these doors down and come in here and say, Brother Tom, Will you, will these people, will you Sunday school teachers and you board members and church leaders, will you tell me how to be saved? They're not going to do that. They're not. God never told a sinner to go to church. Won't ever find it in the Bible. God never commanded a sinner to go to church. But God commanded a church to go to sinners. That's God's plan. God's plan is for me and you to win them. And let me tell you, if you tonight are not interested and getting people saved, you are not right with God. That's according to the Bible. I'm not condemning you. I'm not sitting in judgment on you. I'm just saying to you, this Bible teaches you can't be a good Christian and violate His Word and not abide in Him and not do what He said do and not keep His commandments. You can't be that way and be a good Christian. God has a plan to get people saved. Daily in the temple and every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I thought today of a young man. He's doing wonderful work for the Lord. He's a pastor now, and he came here years ago to go to school. He hadn't been here but a few days till he came right down here to close the service. And he said, uh, I haven't been saved too long. And he was weeping, and he said, I left an unsaved mother, an unsaved sister, and I believe one other member of the family unsaved. He said, it's the only thing that I wondered about leaving, coming these hundreds of miles. He came from way out east, coming hundreds of miles here to go to school. He said, I left my unsaved loved ones. I said to them, you came, him, you came in the will of God. He said, yeah, I believe I did. I said, God, if you are in the will of God and you want your loved ones saved, you'll see them saved. You do God's will. You win somebody here in Pontiac. Listen, he and his little old wife set out to win people, and they won them. One day they're sitting about the third row back there. I saw this young man and his wife, and he had two little little bitty girls, babies. I saw them sitting there, and I saw a lady, looked like she might be his mother, and another young lady, and one other person, I just forget, 
I think maybe it might have been a young man. I saw them all sitting nearly a roll field. And when the invitation was given, I saw him get up and speak to his mom. And she started to come, and the others started to come. And they all came. And he and his wife came. And he wept that night with joy. And he said, it happened just like he said. We've been trying to win people here. This is my mom, he said. And oh, what joy he had when he said, my mom has come to give her heart to Jesus. And this is my sister. And I think the other one was his brother, if I remember. I remember a lady one time years ago came at the close of a service. God was dealing with people's hearts and dealt with hers. She was a wonderful Christian woman and mother. And she came and she was weeping. She said, Preacher, I have a son in the Navy. He's stationed at Norfolk, Virginia. And my son is lost. And I've called him on the phone to write him letters or send him tracts. But I can't get my son saved. And she said, He's in the service. She said, Oh, if my boy were to get killed, and if my boy were to die and didn't know the Lord, I don't think I could stand it. She said, I've tried to win him. But he's in Norfolk, Virginia. I said to that lady, stand right in front of this church, right down here. I said, lady, let me suggest to you, there's some mothers in Pontiac that can't win their sons. You win somebody's son to the Lord. One Sunday, three or four weeks, as I remember, might have been two, it might have been six, but three or four weeks or so, I saw that woman coming down with her hand on the arm of a young man about 19 or 20. She brought him down and she introduced him and said, I brought him here and he's come to be saved. And he was saved. It was about another six weeks or so till one day during the invitation, here she comes and she was weeping. And let me tell you something. God puts a premium on tears. She was weeping. That's the thing that's wrong with a lot of people tonight. You haven't cried enough about it. I thought when my granddaughter was singing this morning and she broke down and she couldn't sing the song and she wept, I said, thank you, God, for the tears. They, they mean more than the song anyway. This woman came back and with tears again and she said, my son called me and said, Mother, Somebody out here in Norfolk came and took me to church and I heard the gospel and I've been saved. And she said, Preacher, it worked just like you said. I'm talking to some people tonight with an unsaved loved one. I had one. He went to heaven. He weighed less than 100 pounds when he died. He was nearly 94 years of age. He was my father. For 25 years, I preached, and I couldn't win him until God broke my heart. When God broke my heart to where I couldn't sleep, and food and the water meant nothing to me, three days later, I stood in his yard in Houston, Texas, and he wept like a baby and trusted the Lord, and he's in heaven tonight. Let me tell you, I believe if you'll do what God wants you to do, you'll not only see a lot of people saved, you'll see your own loved ones saved. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, tonight, 
I do pray that I will speak to hearts, all of our hearts. Lord, we thank you for this great church and what's been done here, but we feel like we failed. We really do. We feel like we've lost ground. And here we are in a city that's filled with violence, sin, corruption, and tens of thousands of people that know not the Lord. Modernistic churches that don't preach the Bible on every corner. And we feel like we're in a city that's going to hell. And Lord, we just pray tonight Thou will speak to our hearts. Give us the reviving and the burden and the passion and the concern. Help us to put first things first. And help us to have on our heart what you had on yours, dear Jesus. You said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what we need to be doing. Will you not bless us tonight? Oh, sweet, blessed Holy Spirit, who can do that which we could never do? Wilt thou not move upon hearts? Even the hardest heart, the coldest heart, the most distant heart, the most prejudiced heart. Oh, God, tonight, speak to every heart in this room. And may this church rise up like an army with banners. Fair is the moon, bright is the sun, to go forth to win the lost. God, help us as a church, we pray this night. In Jesus' name, 